Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast, episode 114. Welcome to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast with your host, Jack Mountain Bushcraft School founder and master main guide, Tim Smith. I'm your host, Tim Smith. I'm a registered master main guide and have been a full-time outdoor instructor and guide since founding the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School in 1999. We help people become more skilled, more knowledgeable, more experienced, and more confident in the natural world through our bushcraft and guide training semester programs and multi-week canoe and snowshoe expeditions. You can check out the show notes to all of our podcasts at blog.jackmtn.com. If you're interested in learning more about our college-accredited and GI Bill-approved programs, visit the Jack Mountain Bushcraft School on the web at jackmtn.com. And check out our online network and digital learning academy at bushcraftschool.com. Hello and welcome back to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Smith, and I'm here with Tessa Story on a beautiful Saturday morning in the Guide Shack. And spring has sprung, finally. It's May 6th, and I think May 4th we still had snow flurries. There's still some snow in the woods and in some of the shady places, but the sun's out, the birds are singing, the plants are coming up. So we got about five minutes before the bugs come out, and we run back inside and say, I'm never going outside till the bugs are gone when it freezes up in the fall. Right? Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, spring has sprung. We have uh, had our first day out on the river. Um... We're finishing up week one of the Wilderness Canoe Expedition semester, and most of that week, the first four days of that week, were characterized by temperatures in the high 30s, low 40s, rain, dark clouds, horizontal rain, horrendous winds, and then more rain. It's a rough start, but we still have students, so I guess we're doing something right. Yeah, they all haven't bailed yet, Uh, so we got a couple days for that to happen. Um, But it's just a glorious time to be in northern Maine right now is life really returns to the land. I always, I'm kind of always taken by it each year. It sounds a little bit, uh, sounds a little bit kind of foofy, but I always think of life as this just massively strong force that comes back. So it's, it's kind of quiet. And then you start to hear the, the birds singing and then the birds are going crazy. And then all the plants are coming up and then the bugs come back and people, I talk to people and they're like, oh, I'd love to be out where you are, where it's so quiet. And I'm like, quiet? <laughs> it is not quiet here. Like, the land is going nuts with... Um, not to mention the fella bunchers. The fella bunchers, yeah. Uh, he's a good feller. Yeah. I like him. Uh, but I've got this family of ravens living right next door to the house and uh, to the HQ. And they are just going all night, like every day. These little ravens don't stop hollering. They're hungry. They're hungry. I've been feeding them. Whenever I have chicken or anything with bones, I leave the bones out. And then they they start to recognize me. So super cool about ravens. They'll recognize individual people. They can recognize them by voice. They've done a bunch of studies on these guys. And they'll recognize them by voice. So all I really want, uh, I'll come outside and be like, hey, ravens. And all I really want is for like one of the ravens to be like, hey, Tim. (laughs) And it hasn't happened yet. Have they brought you anything shiny? They haven't left me anything shiny, but I keep leaving them. I'm leaving them like chicken bones and things all in the exact same spot on the, like the stone wall when you come out of the, out of the door mm-hmm. on the right, right at the base of their tree. Maybe you need to leave them a whole chicken. Maybe. In exchange for like a hundred dollar bill. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, all I really want is to turn them into my evil army of the night that does my bidding. Obviously. Yeah. Um, That's what this whole <laughs> endeavor is for. Uh, but we had our first day on the... 
water yesterday. So we've been doing like canoe lifts, canoe carries, going over canoe gear. Uh, we had our first day on the pond and thankfully, thankfully somebody went for a swim day <laughs> that, one. That we wasn't got, us. <laughs> we got that out of the way because that's always something that's, uh, yeah, people are apprehensive. And then once that, once that little sort of that ice is broken, so to speak, then everybody's a little bit less uh, apprehensive about flipping. Yeah, we've been sort of waiting this week for a nice day to get into the water. It's been cool and cloudy and a little bit miserable, especially for people who aren't used to being up in northern Maine. Um, so yesterday the clouds broke a little bit. It was in the 50s and we were like, all right, today we're getting on the water. And as soon as I stepped in a boat, the wind picked up. And the 50s to us here yeah, now feels like warm. the 80s anywhere else because it's been so cold. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so Mother Nature looking at us thinking, oh, it's time for spring and we'll go out and frolic on the river, decided to throw a 25 mile an hour headwind at us, um, which was nice. It's a great was... way to learn how to steer a canoe. Yeah. So it's funny because you talk about, you know, the intricacies of hand placement with paddle strokes and... Then you get out in that and you're just struggling to not get spun. Yep. But at least, you know, thankfully I was solo in a 20-foot boat with zero <laughs> weight in it. So <laughs> it was just a giant sail. You so made it though. After not having paddled a canoe since freeze up, uh, it's nice to go and just physically labor for, I don't know, two and a half hours. Yeah, we get out of the boats and Tim and I look at each other and we're just like... <gasps> <laughs> Thank God it was over. But yeah, it'll get easier from here on out. Muscles will get a little, they'll, they'll start to remember how to do all oh, that yeah. stuff. I'm feeling it today. Yeah, a little. But it's a good sore. It's a good it's sore. Movement, which I haven't really had all winter. Kind of been a couch potato, so it's nice to be out again. Yeah, yeah. Life returns to the muscles. Life returns to the muscles as it does to the land. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, the plants are starting to go nuts here. Um the first flower we get in the spring is always the colt's foot, and it's been out for a week, maybe a week and a half. It hasn't, but it's been easy to miss because it's been closed up since it's been so cloudy yeah. and yucky, but today they are bright yellow and open. So when you see, if you're in the north and you see those first yellow flowers that are out right as the snow pulls back, everybody always says, oh, look at the dandelions, but they're not dandelions. They every every yellow small flower is a dandelion. Of, of course it is. Uh <laughs> Um, yeah, so the other, some of the other plants we're seeing a lot of, uh, coming down the river yesterday, usually the first big green plant that we see there is the false hellbore and that comes up. Uh, some of the books say that people mistake it for skunk cabbage. I don't even know that we have skunk cabbage around here, but it's this big kind of robust green thing. And, and it, uh, you know, the first one to come up and then it gets to be pretty big on the riverside. I feel like the skunk cabbage comes up whenever you wouldn't be tromping around in the woods anyway, because there might still be too much snow. Okay. That's my thought. Feel free to correct me. <laughs> Other plants that we're seeing and eating at this early juncture, the this is the season for wild greens. So the oxeye daisies are still real tiny, but the greens are real tasty. And this real early season, I think, is the best time of year to eat dandelion greens because it's before they get bitter. They're still like, uh, they just taste better than the stuff that you pay through the nose at the supermarket for. Mm. Once summer rolls around, they get to be big and bitter and, and they're not as delicious but this time of year pretty good it's a it's a good time to to be foraging and living outside the mustard greens however are already bitter always bitter yeah i do not like them you know no i love the it's mustard too bitter. greens the beginning i'm like all right and then it just anything bitter i can't do 
I'm too bitter. The, the idea with salad, if you like the history of salad back in the day, it was eating bitter greens to... The history of salad. <laughs> to, well, eating bitter greens to sort of prep your digestion to digest a meal. Like, you, you, yeah. traditionally we eat the salad before the meal and it was the bitter greens to get the, the bile going in the gallbladder yeah, to help yeah. you digest. I know it's good for you, but I don't like to do things that are good for me, so... Yeah. Hence me sitting in the bow while somebody else paddles me around in the stern. <laughs> right. Um, and the birds. Jeez, other than the ravens, the birds are going nuts around here. What, who have we been hearing? The usual suspects. There are a lot of American robins. I've seen crows, but more exciting. Um, the Phoebes are back. The sparrows are around. Pileated woodpeckers everywhere. I saw a kinglet this morning. A pine siskin. They're all out. They're all out. The Phoebe's beautiful little bird, but just, they're kind of little jerks. They never shut up. They're always I'm building... trying to listen to other birds, but the Phoebe's are just screaming right now. <laughs> I can hear one right now. And they're always, uh, they're always building nests up under things, like the under, under like eaves and things, the Phoebe's. So of course, if we ever leave the door to the Athenaeum open, you go up the stairs to the Athenaeum and there's a Phoebe in there. But is that what you had to get out of? Oh the yeah. The, every year the Phoebes fly up there and it, they're really nice to have in the house. You open the window <laughs> and they won't fly out the window. They'll just fly into it, but they like to land on everything and poop all over it. Nice. So like all the folding chairs of <laughs> bird poop all over it. I'm like, thanks Phoebe. Jerk. Decoration. Got to keep the doors shut and yeah. You know, I mean, just a horrible house guest. Like, imagine if I went to somebody's house and was like, oh, I don't know how to get outside, so I'm just going to poop all over the furniture. Yeah, yeah I've never done that. No. And I wouldn't. <laughs> um, so we're still waiting on a couple of the spring ephemerals. Uh, that's a kind of a, not a family, but a style, I guess, of wildflower. The word ephemeral means kind of here today, gone tomorrow. So the spring ephemeral wildflowers, they show up for a very short time and then they're gone for the rest of the year. And the two that we have a lot of around here, right along the, um, right along the river, we have a lot of Dutchman's breeches and then we'll have a lot of bloodroot. Trout lily? <clears throat> yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't seen the trout lilies yet either of you. No, but I haven't really been searching by the water yet. Yeah, this was just me floating down river yesterday with my nose buried uh, into my chest working my muscles as hard as I could to not get blown back up river. I was like, oh, look, there's a plant. Same. And I had a student in the bow of my boat, so I was trying to act all cool like I knew what I was doing, but I was really uh, just trying not to get blown over. So this next little segment that we'll talk about has me a little bit nervous because as we were going to downtown Masardis yesterday, uh, we noticed that there was a big hiccup in the force out there, right? The the way that the universe works. If you've ever been to northern Maine and you happen to see beverage cans along the sides of a road or a woods road, usually it's one of two different beverages, right? We have people who drink and then chuck the cans out of the truck. We They drink Bud Light and Twisted Tea. So yesterday... A big hiccup in the force. Uh, we're driving down the road and somebody pointed out that there was an empty box, a Coors Light box. And I was like, what is, you know, something is dramatically different here and wrong. So we picked up the litter, but we replaced it. Yeah, so we went to the store and got like a 12-pack of Bud Light and a 12 of Twisted Tea, threw the Coors Light thing away and went back and threw the empty Twisted Tea and Bud Light box out just to restore order to the universe, right? The birds started singing again. The clouds cleared up. A bald eagle landed on my shoulder and looked me square in the eye and just nodded at me. Shook your hand. As if I were doing something good. 
<laughs> then you cut off its leg and counted its growth rings. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing that we tell people around here. Like, you know, you can see how old a tree is by cutting it and counting the rings. And I, I, I don't know why years ago, but I made the claim you could do the same thing with a bald eagle. And some people... It's always funny when you're kind of making stuff up like that and people are taking notes and then you throw something like that and then they write it down. Um. <laughs> so the big point of what we wanted to talk about today is what do we have to do to get people ready to go live on the river, to live outside? We usually spend on this uh, four-week expedition program week one we're in camp working on different skills but what are the skills that we think people need to have and be up to a minimum level of competency before we take off and go disappear off the grid into the middle of the north main woods where um we're relying on ourselves where there's no backup we can't drive to town we can't go to the store we can't go to the hospital what are those things we need to do so we made a list and we're just going to briefly kind of talk about that uh talk about that list so if you're interested in say pitching it all and disappearing for the summer and going to live out of a boat or just in a remote place here are the things that we think that someone needs to do in order to to pull that off and to do it safely so for us because we're going to be canoeing obviously um boats right people need to know their way around a canoe parts of a canoe they need to have some know how to balance themselves in a boat the skills of paddling and poling uh, so really everything to do with canoes because we're going to jump right in on the uh, St. John River in a couple of days. And that's a big, wild, remote river with some pretty significant rapids along it. Uh, thankfully, the St. John River, um, it's kind of like a great novel where it starts off pretty easy. About two-thirds of the way through, there's a big, uh, a big rapid called Big Black Rapids. And then the biggest rapid is at the very end of the river, the last three miles, and ironically called Big Rapid. Uh, so it kind of That's builds creative. up like a novel. Yeah, it's great. It's like a, it's like it was written by Stephen King. Uh, <laughs> and at the end, then we have that last big rapid. So you kind of build. So people can start off kind of as a novice and then you build up. But we compare that to, say, the Allagash River trip where 38 miles of lakes and then the first two miles of river are the hardest of the whole trip. So that's, you know, there's no easing into that. Where the nice thing with the St. John is we can ease into it. Um but yeah, boats, knowing your way around the canoe, all those things. And, you know, the interesting thing for us is that people come to us with different levels of experience. So maybe we, this year we have somebody who did the program in a prior year. So they've seen all of the stuff. They're, you know, very skilled. They have all of their systems down. Um, but compare them to somebody who's brand new to this. And what we're trying to do week one is to get everybody up to a minimum level of competency so it, we can be safe when we're out there. Um, and it's important, you know, the, we'll go through some of the other skills, but the reason why we spend week one in camp going over canoe skills and all these other skills is so that if something bad happens, like we have an easy out, we have an easy way to get people to the hospital to say if somebody mismanages their foods or things week one like we have backup plans we can go do other stuff but once we once we disappear from the grid once we head off into the north main woods like we don't have that option but some of the other things that we have for people to get good with uh just camping you know some people come here and haven't done a lot of camping so they're learning their systems they're setting up their tent they're living in their tent Maybe their mattress is no good and they're not getting any good sleep. So they've got to kind of fix their 
fix their mattress up. Maybe they're cold and, and they need to worry, uh, learn how to be a bit warmer. Their tarp is flopping around. Floppy tarps are the devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Another big one that we do week one, uh, tool use. Um, people learning how to swing axes, do it safely. We've got a big curriculum and I'm very happy with the experience that people get here learning how to swing an axe. But the, the premise that we have, say, with axe use is that it's way better if someone is going to drive an axe into their leg or have some other accident. <laughs> See what I did there? No. Yeah. I heard it though. Um. If it happens here, we can get them to the hospital in 45 minutes. And uh, the, the, But if it happens when we're out in the middle of nowhere, as we tell everybody, you know, if somebody is not using their axe safely, we use a lot of shame <laughs> to keep people on board with the safety protocols. Because if it happens when we're out in the middle of nowhere, trip's over, and then it's just an evacuation to try to get that person out so that they don't lose a limb or worse. Also important to note that a hospital is still 45 minutes away from us here. If it's, we're it's... driving. If you call an ambulance, it's going to be a couple hours. <laughs> well, they might call you back and say, oh, we're not coming. Then they'll call you back again and say, okay, we're coming. Which has happened. Yeah. Not with the, not with uh, somebody with an axe, but just it was a, a different situation. Um, so we use that, like the shame, to say, okay, if you if you want to ruin the trip for everybody else, go ahead and swing your axe in an unsafe manner. Uh <laughs> so yeah shame <laughs> cooking another big one so people are learning how to and transitioning to cooking over a campfire and some people are learning how to cook for the first time yeah cooking for themselves meal planning i think that's a big thing that a lot of people just don't have to do at home you can it's really easy to be lazy at home just to open up your phone and order delivery or even if you go to the store there are easy pre-made meals you can grab I'm guilty of that, being a little bit lazy at home, but that's just not a possibility out there. So having people think about their meal planning and what they're going to make every day. You know, we're on the St. John for, what, eight days? Yeah, eight or nine Ish. days. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of food to plan. It is a lot of food. Um, and that's, it's a challenge for people when they're new to it because there are yeah. a lot of details to sweat. Uh, I was guilty of that once last winter where I went into the store and just grabbed something ready to go, but they stopped me, thankfully, and told me that I had to pay for it. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, really? Oh, and I just gave it back to him and left. Huh. That hasn't <laughs> happened to me yet. Uh, in addition to cooking, we've got sanitation, best practices, how to not get one another sick if we're out. Uh, things with like hand washing, hand sanitizer, people are learning our human or composting system when we're in camp, learning how to how to navigate if we're out in a remote area with no outhouse or toilet facilities, what the best practices are there. Um, <clears throat> the joys of outdoor living. The joys of outdoor living. But you enjoyed outdoor How nice was it today? Tessa told me this morning it's sunny and warm out for the first time here in the morning. She's like, I took a shower outside today. It was so nice. Showering under the blue I'm sky now. <laughs> is pretty awesome. The last podcast, you could probably smell me through the microphone, but now, clean. And she'll be able to enjoy that process until the bugs come out. Cause and then it's a nightmare again. <laughs> yeah. When, when, if you're standing there naked oh. in like a shower enclosure when the bugs are bad, they will bite you in places you didn't know you had. I have taken a smudge pot into the shower <laughs> enclosure with me to just smoke it out. 
Smudge Pot's another one. We haven't really got into it, but once the bugs come out, these guys are going to get really adept at, at uh, living in a smoke plume. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so, so we take a, uh, an old one pound or the bigger common coffee can size, punch a few holes in it, and the goal is to be able to keep a smoldering, smoky fire for an hour without having it burst into flame or go out. So the trick is, you know, maintaining that smudge and keeping it going. And people get really good at it here because your other options are, uh, well, number one, cover up two layers of clothes. Because if you've got one layer on, mosquitoes can bite you through it. But if you have two, usually they can't. So then it's like, do I want to sweat to death if it's hot out or do I want to feed the bugs? So the smudge pot's a great a great fix for that. Uh, we talked about tool use. The last thing that people are learning how to do, and I think this was probably the, the most important from our perspective since we're going to be expeditioning, expeditioning, is learning a little bit about their body, getting some body knowledge. So we've talked about this in earlier uh, episodes of this podcast about knowing your body and knowing how it works. So often people with an athletic background uh, are have a faster learning curve with this. But say, for example, if I'm swinging an axe, you know, knowing exactly how hard to swing, where I'm not swinging too hard, but just enough. Uh, and similarly, how much force to exert on something. And that's for canoe poling, canoe paddling, swinging an axe, hauling firewood, carving feather sticks, just carving in general the knife, all those things, that idea of body knowledge. And eventually, there must be a term out there for this, but I don't know what it is. Eventually, we'll find it. Uh, because I think it's a it's a hugely important thing, um, knowing exactly how much force just to exert on things, and not not too much. Uh, so that's a challenge, and it's always it's always an interesting learning curve for people. And a couple of weeks in, when people it, things just start to click, we've got enough reps, we've got enough miles under our belt, where all those things just make sense to people. It's super interesting to watch them click and how, you know, how people's mindset and things will change once they have that visceral knowledge of how their body is working. So these are all the things that we're working on, you know, week one to get everybody up to speed so that we can go off and safely and enjoyably start accruing all the miles that we need in order to get everybody up to speed. So over the course of this is a long term program number 58 for us. This is year 24 we have a pretty good idea that it takes a minimum of about four weeks to do this with canoeing, right? I, I can't imagine somebody really learning this in less than four weeks. What do you think? No, you have to have the time to make the mistakes when you're out on the river and learn from them. And a couple days isn't going to do that for you. We have this myth in the modern world that people who are experienced, you know, somebody who's really good at something, somebody who's an expert, that they don't make mistakes. And I think that's totally false. I think the like the road to becoming an expert is that you've made every potential mistake that you could make numerous times. Mm -hmm. And I think especially it's especially helpful as an instructor. So, for example, imagine someone's just naturally gifted at something. They're often the worst instructor because if you haven't made all the mistakes, good luck helping somebody else fix those mistakes. Yeah. I'm still trying to nail down my systems for food, but I do know that I'm not bringing 10 potatoes with me or a duffel bag that weighs 600 pounds. So I had to lift her duffel bag <laughs> last all year. Did. And I was like, how many dead bodies are in this duffel bag? Just two. It was, ugh. We were gone for like two weeks. How was I supposed <laughs> to know? 
But you, you learn things like that. And so this winter, right before I came back, I dehydrated a bunch of food. So going to work with that, see how much lighter I can be. Um, the joy of being in a canoe is that you can have a lot of weight with you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you want a 600-pound duffel bag either. Full of potatoes. Full of potatoes. I had so many potatoes. I ate well. I was really happy. But it was heavy. So how can you adjust and make it a little easier on yourself? I mean, if you're going to have a 600-pound duffel bag full of potatoes, Aroostook County, Maine is the place to do it. <laughs> you know, right at the Presque Isle International Airport, there's a big mural on the wall that reminds everybody coming through that Aroostook County is the number one potato producing county in the United States of America. Mr. Potato Head should have been born here. So take that Idaho. And Rhode Island. <laughs> and Rhode Island. Um, yeah, so just that bit about, uh, I think I mentioned this on an early episode of the podcast, but when I was a kid, I remember watching hockey great Guy Lafleur, and someone said, Guy, how do you score so many goals? And Guy looked at the camera, and English wasn't his first language, but Guy looks at the camera and he says, buck on stick, shoot, score. So I was like, great. So obviously a natural, talented, gifted goal scorer, but I would I would wager that that helped no young kid score more goals in hockey. Uh, so that, So the idea is that the expert or the good instructor has made all of those mistakes and can often recognize the, the path that someone is going down and sort of see the mistake almost before it happens. You know, when you do things for a number of years, you sort of get that sixth sense where you see, oh, okay, I see where this one's going. And uh, Right now I have like a five and a quarter sense. <laughs> <laughs> Example of which... Like, let's say we haven't got into moving water polling yet, but we have a thing where we say never snub across your body. So if I'm going downstream trying to make the canoe go slower than the current, that's called snubbing. You push off on the bottom and it's like you're going downhill, but you're trying to go slow. So when people snub across their body and then they get their pole stuck, that's when they go for a swim or get really good at doing the limbo dance super fast. So when people are consistently snubbing across their body, often they won't learn the lesson until... They have to go for a swim. Yeah, I got ejected from my boat on the Aroostook on our first trip. <laughs> but I didn't tip my boat, thankfully. I chose to pole vault out of my boat rather than tip the whole thing over. <laughs> but, you know, the as an instructor, you can sort of see that. And when people are doing that, you have that gentle hand to say, hey, maybe we shouldn't be snubbing across our body quite so much. Um, and maybe ultimately, it doesn't really matter what you say, that they have to get thrown yeah. into the water in order to, to really learn the lesson. Can't give them solutions to problems they haven't had yet. You're right. So yesterday, I guess we're kind of wrapping up that little section. And let's just talk about the rest of the course real quick before we wrap this up. Yesterday, we started on our pond and then went down to the Masardis boat launch with a quick stop at Mamaloos. We love Mamaloos. We love Mamaloos. Uh, and floated back to the field school. The boats are down at the river on the racks down there at Canoe Beach. Today is a day off. We're gonna we're gonna talk about food with everybody, and we're gonna start packing food for our trip. It's Saturday. We're leaving Wednesday morning. Tomorrow we will go around Sam Squanch Island a couple of times with poles. We'll pole up Squapan Stream, and then we'll head down, float all the way to Ashland, uh, take out down there, be working on paddle strokes the whole way. Uh, everybody down there, everybody on this course will probably hear the Iron Spoon Saga <laughs> for the first time. And then we've got a couple other local trips uh, before we take off and probably 115, 120 miles on the St. John. 
And then we'll have a day off after that to resupply and for people to lick their wounds, so to speak. And then we'll head out and do it again. So May is just an awesome, awesome month up here. Uh, Wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Super happy to be doing this. We're on day six of the course, I think. Tim and I are already like, oh, it's almost over. Yeah, because you you plan everything out so much. Like every day, where are we going to be on this day? And where are we going to be then? And you realize... From the student's perspective, a month seems like a long time, but we've got, oh, this day we need to be here, and we need to be here by then, and here by then, and we're like, oh, geez, it's going to be July before we know it. So, well, I don't have anything else. Do you? Nope. Okay. Well, thank you very much for spending this time with us. We're going to try to keep getting these uh, once a week uh, to you guys. Um, If you haven't visited our website at blog.jackmtn.com in a while we're posting a lot of videos as well uh as well as just the regular blog written content um content machine never sleeps yeah the internet propaganda machine never (laughs) sleeps 24 hours but thanks for listening uh and uh yeah thanks for listening bye You have been listening to the Jack Mountain Bushcraft Podcast. For more information on our professional wilderness guide training programs that are college accredited and GI Bill approved, visit us on the web at jackmtn.com.